Hi guys and welcome to the Fights Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash as always and um busy week this week. So um yeah, we'll be talking a fair bit. Um obviously the main event that I'm gonna be talking about is uh Reggie Progre against um Jose Zapeda because you know, that was an excellent performance. Anyone who follows me on Twitter would already have seen me raving or who's read my work on uh, Bloody Elbow or is on the Patreon for the fight site um, would have seen me raving about Reggie Progre. I think he's really cool and uh it's a really cool performance, so I'm going to talk about that. It was a fairly busy undercard there. I won't talk too much about it, but there was a you know women's world championship fight, Yocasta Bale versus Evelyn Bermudez. It was a decent fight. Um, I haven't got an awful lot to say about it, but um, it was a good fight and both you know worth watching. And I, I do want to talk about a little bit about Charles Conwell and his performance against Juan Carlos Abreu because well, I was a little concerning, and I want to I want to get into you know just briefly get into why. Um, then I'll flip over to. The English side of things, and I will talk about Dillian White versus Jermaine Franklin. Not only briefly, because quite frankly, <laughs> I wasn't that interested in that fight. It was better than I, you know, it was better than expected. Jermaine Franklin performed well, but um, um, you know, and uh, arguably could have had the victory there. But um, again, you know, I'll get into it some. The main thing I want to talk about off that card is the um, Fabio Wardley versus um. Nathan Gorman fight because that was interesting and fun and uh, not very long but you know um, Fabio Wardley won the British title and um, and I want to pick up on on that fight and him in general and then well Zach Parker versus Phoenix uh, not Phoenix Cash versus John Ryder it's not an awful lot to say because it ended in an unfortunate region an unfortunate injury but I will talk about it so so that's what we're going to get into and on Sunday evening Adam Azim um, he, you know, fought on a weird card. Sky and Boxer clearly decided Adam Zim is one for the future. I tend to agree, and I'm going to talk about why because I like to finish on, you know, a positive note of raving about some kind of prospect, and uh, so I'll do that with Adam Azim. But, you know, first things first, Reggie Progre or Regis Progre. I should call him that. I keep calling him Reggie. Yeah, Reggie, mate. Uh, Regis Progre, and um, and his excellent performance over Jose Zepeda which was based on I mean it's based on many things it was it was not dissimilar to in the pattern of the like the overall pattern of the fight it wasn't too dissimilar to Bivol versus Zerdo the other week the details were different but they were, they were both uh, Zerdo and Zepeda both found themselves trapped um, you know unable to keep the fight at the middle distance that they needed to and uh, when they got in too close and needed to exchange to find their space, they found themselves much more taking much more damage than they were giving out, even though they were the bigger fighter. And you know, the, I, th- I think as a pay- our rates are paid out a lot more than our Deserto, but there were similarities to the way they lost and to the way that um, Progre found the victory. But you know, the details of Progre's style are much different to Bivol's. The thing about Progre is he's very unusual. You know, if you've seen him, you know that um, not everyone likes his style. I've just been talking to a couple of the patrons the other day um, that they just don't particularly like to watch him because he does have this herky-jerky... I wouldn't call it wooden, but, you know, some people do. Um, really odd way of moving. And it is a feature, not a bug. Um because it's so herky-jerky and all of that, he's very hard to nail down when he where he's going to go, when he's going to go, all of that stuff. Um, and he is, 
he has a style that seems not really old school. Um, you'd need better historians than me to um, to really drill down into it. But, um, but you don't see many fighters like him, or really any like him nowadays. Um, he's got this like really curled up, um, you know. Lots of fighters have this sort of cold stance, but um, when you combine that, you know, he know he understands how to use his shoulder as a defense and all of that stuff. That's not impossible to find, but but when you combine it with the uh, his style of movement, that jerky style, and uh, his footwork, which is I always rave about his footwork because his footwork is fantastic, it's brilliant. Um, you know, you find you see fighters who are better in the sense of cutting the ring off well not you know not too many but um but it's not like his specialty but in terms of being always balanced always in the right position always um just not off balance not not out of shape um with his feet no matter what he's doing and how fast he's doing it progray is up there with anyone um and you, you know you can kind of see that he focuses on his legs because he's got he's built up his legs are built like fucking tree trunks um you know to an extent you rarely see in boxing like Pacquiao had tree trunk legs but um you know there aren't too many fighters some fighters just sacrifice their legs for the weight cut um which you know I always think is a bad idea but even the ones that don't yeah you know they're not walking around with chicken legs but uh, but but you know progress is sturdy and I think that speaks to his style um it speaks to something I'm going to go into a little bit later about how he generates power from crazy angles uh, but just his general style is really focused on his feet being totally balanced at all times you know no matter what he's doing and uh, and that helps him that was part of you know that from the beginning um, well from the beginning the, f- the first round to pay to one and progress struggled a little bit with the jab um, so he had to take that away and he did it just by sliding under it and then countering it hard and Zapeda threw Zapeda got um hesitant to throw the jab and after that progray you know more or less had to, you know, he had what he needed to do to get to work. And the thing that Zapeda really struggled with with, with progray is um and I have written an article about this for Buddy Obo, so you may have seen it already. But you know, <laughs> we're gonna dig into it as well here. Um he closes distance really fucking fast. Um and normally when a fighter closes distance that's that fast, it's a it's a ball rush or a leap and neither of those are controlled movements and you're you know a ball rush typically you're kind of crashing into your opponent whereas a leap uh, you're uncontrolled when you're moving and you're you risk running into things and it speaks to how good progray is how how unusual his ability to do to do it safely is because Zapeda's exact specialty is fighters getting fighters to approach quickly, sliding back and catching them. Like his entire thing is intercepting fighters as they move, and he just couldn't do it. Really. Like there was in the whole fight, I think he caught Progray coming in maybe three times, and only like well, there was one at the end, just not long before the finish. That was a serious like where Progray did seem actually hurt. He's just really fucking good at. He's so controlled with his movement. Um, and a lot of it, some of it is deception. Like some of it, he isn't actually moving as fast as he makes you think he's doing. And um, what he's actually doing is he's sliding his lead foot in close, just taking up position carefully, carefully, slowly, and then shifting his weight in and taking one small skip forward, you know, one small slide step forward. Um, as he leans forward and, you know, he's covered much more, he looks like he's covered much more distance than he actually has. And he's gone from Zepeda 
thinking that he's you know way out of range to Zepeda being like what the fuck he's in my face um so a lot of it is that a lot of it is um him tricking Zepeda tricking his opponents into thinking he's further away um, in this case as well um because this was southpaw versus southpaw um he did he did that thing that I always really enjoy um seeing where he places his foot directly and he's always really careful to put his foot directly in the middle of Zepeda's stance so that when he did move forward he wasn't um he wasn't on equal terms he had his shoulder you know his shoulder instead like sort of in the middle pushing Zepeda back so Zepeda was instantly off balance and not really capable of dealing with it properly um you know not capable of punishing for it um, when he's uh in this fight it didn't happen when he's an orthodox uh, versus southport when he's fighting an orthodox fighter he does typically go for the outside fit position um which you know i always say obviously you you want that that's good for you but it's not the only way to do it um but it is typically what he goes for slide his foot outside and then uh you know run uh sliding out come stepping on the outside and coming really fast that way but there are also times when progray you know when his lead foot isn't close enough when he wants to move and he does have to move very fast and he's just frankly really controlled with both feet he's really stable so he's able to push off really quickly and stop his movement really quickly just exactly where he needs to um and you can see it um a few times that he threw this uh chopping left hand which i'll talk about some more in a second a slightly younger structure of this but um there were a few times when he was running in with it and uh where you really can see the control kind of ironically where you really can see the control of progress feet is when he missed when Zepeda did slide back and um and made progress miss because this chopping left was uh, such a big punch he would overbalance um and usually that's a really bad thing um it's really punishable but progress even though he's overbalanced with his upper body he's still balanced with his feet and he's still able to straight away take the next step and get right in close on Zepeda and get his head on Zepeda's chest essentially making it hard to be generate any power in the punches and after that he can sort of reset and uh, and break safely there are so few fighters in boxing today who can do that you know once you've made your first move and stepped in then almost all of them are either already set to disengage or you know they're stuck kind of in they have to throw it's part of Zepeda's problem um in general where uh well once he got to the, the range where he was exchanging he he found it difficult to deal with the fact that progray could get closer like progray could get closer that paid couldn't step back or push in further and that's why progray won a lot of the exchanges which don't get me wrong there were a few times when Zepeda landed solidly on progray as he came in like he didn't catch him with a full intercepting shot necessarily like i said two or three times but um but he would land a decent solid shot on progray and every time that happened it ended up with an exchange which Zepeda ended up losing and he ended up looking hurt like almost every time and that was because it, like I say Zepeda wasn't ready for Progray to be able to close the distance again like Zepeda he just wasn't he isn't used to opponents who can deal with this slide back and adjust that fast he's just so quick at doing it it's, it's really yeah, unusual to be honest um Yes, the way he does that is masterful, and I'm gonna, you know, I will rave about it in future as well. Um, the other thing, the other key point is his head movement, which, um, you know, it works together. Footwork and head, it's always at the best fighters, it always works together. Um, 
in progress, that's the case. But yeah, the two things he uses head movement for. One is obviously, I'm um, proactively, he also uses it just for defense. But, um, but one is obviously the usual, just the sensible, the more you move your head, the more the less you're on center line, um, the harder it is for an opponent to get, to figure out where, where you're going to be and how to catch you. Um, the harder it is, you know, the more gunshot you make them essentially. Um, and he's really good at that. But he, what he's also really good at is the back and forth shift, which, you know, again, not an unusual tool, but um, but he uses it in conjunction with his feet to further disguise the distance. Just like I say, I said the weight shift earlier on, where he'll, he'll be leaning slightly back as he approaches, as he gets his foot into position, and then when he makes that final approach, he'll lean forward. And uh, and that made it really hard for the pay because... Um, because he's not moving his base by that stage, or not very much. So even if he does get caught, he, um, you know, he's in, he's in a start to take it properly. But because he's so controlled, because his base is so stable, he's often able able to see the intercepting punch, you know, where it's going to go, and sort of move it, work around it. Um, yeah, so Pedro just really struggled with that shit, and uh, and that leads into the you know the next thing, the stable, the stability of his feet, and the ability of him to move his head leads to the next thing that Zepeda found it really hard to deal with and the next thing that helped him win the fight which was that Progre is really fucking good and he always has been at generating power from stupid angles where he'll come out really wide like lean out really to one side or the other or come down really low and be able to generate a punch from essentially the other side like he'll duck low to the right and then he'll clip a punch over the top with his left hand from the opponent's left and that's not uncommon you see that a lot like loads of fighters do that but I can't think of a fighter who does it with as much power as Progre. And he does it, you know, that's uh, one example, but like he'll, he'll throw uppercuts from, you know, he'll be leaning again way out right and he'll throw an uppercut with his right hand straight up the middle somehow and generate real power into it. Um, even though he doesn't seem, you know, he doesn't seem to be directly under the punch, but his feet are, you know? And so he's coming from his feet even though his shoulders are way out wide and the, you know the shoulder he's throwing through is leaning way out to the right he'll still generate real snap on this on the uppercut he basically does that with so many uh, so many punches and it it's a problem it was a uh, extra a problem for Zepeda because Zepeda for all his skills he is quite straight lined especially defensively and uh, it's something I've talked about before um, and others have talked about it as well um, boxing stances are built to make your line make your lines of balance you know all the um, lines of approach of a, of a punch as safe as possible where you'll balance whichever you're able to move with a shot whichever angle you take a shot from um, and and you know boxers are really good at dealing with this and may fighters find it harder um because they have to deal with all so much other shit um, that it is easier to unbalance an MMA fighter and clip him across the line of his balance. Whereas, you know, boxing starters are essentially slightly twisted so that your line of balance isn't straight up the middle. In Zepeda, it is a bit more than most. He's hardly the only fighter who does it, and it's not as if he doesn't mitigate the problems with a stance like that. You know, there are advantages to fighting the way he fights, and and he normally, you know, the way he slides back on defense um, and he uses opponents trying to take advantage of it against them. But Progre can slip, split the attention. So he comes right, but the punch comes from the left. 
you know, all that sort of thing, where Premier will be low and you have to look for a punch coming from from almost above. Like he was using a chopping lift from above a lot. Um, you know, it was a punch that basically, it wasn't a knockout punch, but it was a punch that started at the end and he was using it before in various ways. You know, sometimes he'd run it in, which again, dangerous, but he does it really well. Other times he'd be in close and sort of spring up around. Um, yeah, that chopping lift was a, was a big tool for him. Um, and, but because he was also working from the right-hand side, or he'd be on the right, on the left, you know, looking to set up that punch, and then suddenly he'd clip him with the right, Zepeda just couldn't uh, couldn't focus on protecting one side or the other. He had to be constantly focused on both, and he found that hard, and so he got hurt a lot in exchanges. Um, yeah, that, that was the biggest part of Zepeda's problem. We saw against Balantric, he's capable of going hard as a motherfucker and exchanging and winning exchanges when he has to. Um, you know, Balantric is much wilder than Progre. But, uh, but Balantric's simple. Like, he's just doing one thing. Progre is really complicated and really disguising his shots. And, yeah, Zepeda just couldn't see where they were coming from. And, you know, defensively as well. Like, Zepeda's defence is fine. Um, like I say, straight-lined. It, it does rely heavily on distance, and Progre broke that. Um, you know, Progre was so capable of covering the distance so quickly that Zepeda... Zepeda's distance-based defense just kind of fell apart. It was just a great performance of, you know, disguise. If you like watching fighters who disguise their intentions and are really good at hiding their shit later on, um, their shit till later on, they're really hard, good at disguising what they're going to do until very late. You know, Progo is just a really good guy to watch. Um, and like I said, there's no one else like him at the moment. Um, Tiafimo Lopez sometimes fights like I think he wants to be. Uh, like program but he doesn't have that you know he doesn't have the twitchiness and I think you know if that's what he's going for he doesn't fully understand it it might not be what he's going for he does other things really really well um, but he doesn't have that uh, he doesn't have quite the disguise um, Javonta Davis kind of does um, well, Javonta Davis really has the disguise but Javonta Davis doesn't have the safety of the movement but Progray is better at Davis at switching from defence to attack and you know he's a safer on approach and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, there really aren't many. Uh, Xander Zayas coming up. I think is building a game similar in intention, but again he's much more conventional in the way he moves and all of that stuff. Like there really isn't any other fighters like Progre um, right now, which is really damn cool. Um, yeah, you know what, what did I, what did I miss? I missed his jab. I missed talking about his jab. You know, I I talked about Hazapeda. Um, Established his jab early on and had it taken away by the um, by that overhand chopping overhand lift. But Progre, you know, Progre works a lot of his jab. He uses a jab to disguise his movement. You know, as you'd expect, he uses his jab as a scoring blow a lot. Um, yeah, he's just really good at chaining his jab together with everything else he does. Um, because his head movement, you know, because he's moving so back and forth as he comes in, um, his jab could be coming from anywhere. So again, it's difficult to defend. Um, yeah. Um, one, one, one more thing to note before I close. I've, this has been a bit unstructured. I've kind of got off my notes. Um, but Progre's... Um, one thing about this sort of back and forth, janky movement, um, it can be... If you do it wrong, it can be predictable because um, if you're moving back and forth across your centre line, a lot of fighters will do that, but they'll always move to the same position before they take their approach. Progre, you know, there's no danger of that, really. He can, uh, it's again, it's to do with his balance. Like, his balance is so good. He doesn't have to be on the centre line, like with his head, and tucked up before he moves. 
and that makes it again harder for Zepeda to intercept. And that was the story of the fight ultimately. Zepeda is a fighter who specialises in intercepting opponents as they come in, but he was fighting a guy who specialises in spoiling that. Like his whole thing was is spoiling that, and he had more ways to do it than Zepeda has to find him. So that you know that. I did kind of say that before the fight, um, and that you know proved true. Basically, um, you know I'm quite happy with my prediction for this fight, and almost everything I said turned out to be the case. And yeah, it's you know if you haven't seen the fight, go watch it. It's not. It didn't turn out to be fight of the year because it was too one-sided, but it's one of the performances of the year. I would say it's just really damn good. Um, yeah, that's not a lot more to say. But, I mean, there's lots more to say about that, but. Uh, I'm not going to talk for an hour about Progro versus Zepeda, so I'll wrap it up there and just say, you know, go watch the fight. Um, I'm going to move on. The co-main event, as I say, was um, women's unification, uh, not unification, it was women's title fight between uh, Evelyn Bermudez, who was defending her world uh, IBF and WBO like flyweight titles against Yocasta Valley, who had held the same two titles at the weight below and has moved up to fight um, to fight Bermudez. And it was, yeah, it was just a good action fight. Like I say, I haven't got an awful lot to say. I'm not going to get into an awful lot of depth about it, any depth at all, really. Um, but it was a fun fight, and, you know, if you've got a few minutes, I recommend it. It was one of those where it was frustrating. Um, the two minutes rounds got, got really annoying because you just didn't get the ebb and flow. You know, the, the ebb and flow would just be getting going, and then it would be the end of the round. Um, yeah, the story of the fight was uh, your Castavale is a more was the more aggressive fighter. Um, Bermudez is a really good um, outboxer, you know, sliding back, catching an opponent coming in. The early part of the fight, Bermudez uh, was making Fale fall short a lot and catching her really nicely. But um, as the fight went on, Fale built up the momentum. Um, and, you know, to my eye, um, I said something early on about um, Fale was throwing too early and getting picked like she was leaving herself open and leaving herself leaving her attentions clear she was throwing from too far out and getting caught if she did so and I said um, she needed to tuck up get in close and then let the punches go I think she did that I, mean, I don't want to like completely be like oh yeah I was right you know before someone said she, she heard me no I don't want to say oh yeah I was right I'm really you know clever but I think you know, it may be a bit of confirmation bias on my part but I think that's part of what happened I think she kind of stopped throwing until she was in closer and then started letting the combinations go when she was, you know, in safe and close. And Bermuda struggled to deal with that. Um, you know, and Bermuda is basically a fighter who's really comfortable outside versus com- fighter who's comfortable in closer. Um, I did get annoyed, and you know, it's going to sound a little bit, maybe sound a little bit hypocritical, considering, like I say, I'm not really covering in depth. But um, but this was a fight TV stream, um, and the 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 commentators on that stream were embarrassing because um it was just clear they hadn't watched any prep at all like i me in prep i watched uh i was writing a preview article um on bloody elbow i had to i had to give them a main anonymous for you know work reasons on the fight site but um but i mentioned this fight on the undercard of you know just this basically all i said was this fight is happening and i did more research to to write that line than the commentators on the fight did to commentate on the fight. It was fucking infuriating. Like, they had no idea who either fighter was. Um, they, at one point, they said, oh, yeah, Bermuda shouldn't be on the back foot. She doesn't like doing that. So Bermuda's fights on the back foot. You know, I watched a couple of her fights, not not even all the way through, but just, I just picked out a couple of her fights and watched a couple of them. 
Like she's a Vaughan fighter and she can go forward when she needs to, but she's quite happy on the back foot. She wants her opponents to be coming out. So, you know, so she can pick them off. Like that's her thing. Like she just wasn't comfortable with the, the ability of Valet to get through that once she took, you know, once she did doing that. But, you know, like you're just making shit up off the top of your head. Like, yeah, in this fight, she's uncomfortable on the back foot because Valet's really good. And it's, this, this lack of research really annoys me. Not just because it makes it, you know, it makes it hard for them to do their job. And, you know, there was one point where I can't even remember which one, but one of the commentators just clearly didn't know which fighter was which and started talking about how um, Bermudez was doing a good job of um, getting inside now and um, and unloading your shots. And I was like, that, that, that was Valet. You know, what the fuck are you talking about? But, um, but it makes it, you know, even aside from not really picking up the patterns and knowing, you know, anticipating what might be happening in advance and that kind of thing, it makes it impo- again, impossible to give the proper credit for what Bonafide is doing because you don't know what they're overcoming, you know? Like, you don't know... You know, If you don't know what Bermuda's specialty is, then you don't know what Valet had to do to get past that specialty. And so you're just making shit up and you can't give Valet the proper credit for a good performance, you know, getting through the things Bermuda's was really good at. It was just... You know, it was just really irritating. They weren't even watching the fight half the time. It was fucking infuriating, right? You know, there were, throughout the stream, there were moments when it was a bit irritating. They did okay, you know, the main event was fine, and they did okay in other points, but in this point, it was just embarrassing. It was fucking... It was a joke. Like, if you get paid to sit down and watch the fucking fight and tell the viewers what's happening in the fight, then you have to prepare. That fucking Dominic Cruz had to go um, at Cormier for that, and he's right. Like, you really can tell when Cormier hasn't prepared or Joe Rogan doesn't at all. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into depth, but yeah, it was, it was just... It was ridiculous how much they haven't prepared. So, you know, I'm sorry, but, um, <clears throat> you know, that was that. Um, and yeah, it was a good fight, and, uh, you know, it's not going to it's not going to blow your mind. Uh, but they're both good fun fighters. Um, it does tend to be true, you know, the lower weights are better for women's boxing um, than the higher weights, same as an MMA. And that's true here, you know, your Casta Valet, both of these fighters are a lot better than a lot of the champions from higher up the weights. Um, yeah, good fight. Um, and it, you know, even if you don't watch this one, watch if you happen to see the names on a card, I would recommend you know turning on for that fight. I will briefly note that um, Bakudid Jalilov fought on this card um, against Curtis Harper, who um, once you know famously walked out against uh, FA Jagba before the fight had even started. Just well, no, the fight started, the bell rang, he walked. Um, in this fight, he. Harper turned up and fought, but it wasn't much of a contest and that Jalilov knocked him out. It's really just a case of Jalilov marking time until he gets the opportunity to fight someone quite good. I don't know how good he's going to be. He's a gold, gold medalist in Tokyo, so he's yeah, clearly got some skills. But he's, yeah, I, he's not a Klitschko or anything like that. He's not like a heavyweight Golovkin or a heavyweight um, Bivol or any of that stuff. He's pretty straight. You know, He's technically skilled, but... um. But then again, I said that about Bivol, and I proved to be wrong. So, you know, it's worth watching Jalilov. But this fight isn't going to tell you anything. And uh, the fight I want to talk about on this card really is um, Charles Conwell versus Juan Carlos Abreu because Conwell, it's this was 144 pounder, a uh, lot middleweight, and um, he was seen at one point as a really like a blue chip prospect, you know, in the vein of a Boots Rodriguez, Boots Rodriguez, <laughs> Boots Ennis, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, he. He fights like Boots. He has the same style as Boots. Um, 
from Ohio, born in Michigan, so he's not from the same area as Boots, but you know, he has that same sort of idea, and he has the same, he wants to be an all-round, quite flashy, he's not as flashy as Boots overall, but he wants to be sort of a rangy boxer, but capable of coming inside as well, pushing on, and um, also, you know, be good on the defence, you know, capable of outboxing when he needs to be. Um, but... And the thing about Conwell is it's kind of hard to talk about him because, if you're not aware, he fought um, Patrick Day a few years ago. Um, and, you know, Day unfortunately died. Um, he, he, yeah, Conwell won the fight and Day passed away. If, I think it was a few days later. Um, in any case, yeah. Um, and it clearly did affect Conwell, um, you know, in the aftermath. Um, and he says he's kind of gotten past it now you know he he fights he dedicates all his fights to um today and uh you know he's clearly carrying that with him the thing is i don't know if this is the reason for what we see in his fights or if he's just like that like you can't say for sure but he had Juan Carlos Abreu hurt and Abreu is a tough guy a tough veteran he does you know a few dirty things a few non-dirty things he knows how to hang on um Connell had him hurt a number of times and if he'd have just thrown two or three more punches he would have won the you know he probably would have won the fight like knocked him out um, he won the you know won the fight comfortably don't get me wrong like, there was no danger of Conor losing but he didn't have that finishing instinct and I don't know if you know I can't possibly say if that's definitely because because he's got Patrick Day in his head and he's hesitant about hurting opponents now or if it's just because that's how he is like that's he doesn't have that, in, you know, he doesn't want to risk himself or whatever. Um, but it feels like that. And, and it, the way the way his career's gone since that point as well, like he's just kind of meandered and promotionally he's been, you know, not with good promoters, but it just hasn't pushed for the big fights. It's, it's you know, whether it's Patrick Day being on his mind or something else, he has to think about whether this is what he wants to be doing because he doesn't fight like a boxer who wants to be boxing. Like, he doesn't have the... He doesn't look like he's got the passion. Like, he's got the real fight in him. Offensively. Because defensively, like, he seems fine. Like, he took a few shots. So I'll have I'll have issues with his defence as well. But he took a few shots and, you know, he was perfectly fine. He responded well. Like, I'm, I have no issue... Um, no issue, no um, concerns about his ability to face adversity. I have ability... I have issue with his ability to cause adversity. And, you know, if he's always going to back off, whatever the reason is, if he's always going to back off, he has to think about it, whether this is what he wants to be doing. And I don't know what else he could be doing. You know, I can't give him career advice. It's just really concerning because he's in a, he's in a shark pit, a shark tank of a division. It's like he's in 154. Imagine him against Sebastian Fedora. And apparently this was some kind of eliminator for some belt or other, um, just the guys at the top of the division are going to eat him alive if he fights like this if he shows that hesitancy to push his advantages and he has skills like um, you know I say say his defence isn't as good as I think it needs to be but it's you know there's a defence there and he's good he he does good things well and he does catch a lot of shots and uh, he takes a sting over a lot of shots I do land like he was never hurt or anything Skills-wise, he could potentially be world-level, 
but he just at the moment isn't biting you know, a, a world level fighter should be wiping a bro off the map like and Boots did it was a division below but Boots Ennis did you know, that's possibly why Ennis comes to mind so easily because he fought this opponent um, and you know Ennis knocked him out in six rounds um, and Conor just never you know he had him wobbled a number of times and never looked like pushing for it it's just slightly con- you know it's a concern it's an issue um, but I hope you know I, I or the, you know I really hope he does get whatever the issue is um, you know I may be, like I say I may be wrong it may not be about Patrick Day it may just be he wants to keep himself safe and um, he, you know he's trying, trying to train good habits without uh, just overcompensating a bit too much you know because you never want to lose your head and go too hard looking for the victory um, so maybe it's about that and he just needs to find the proper balance but he does need to do that pretty quickly because he is approaching the stage where he either has to fight you know he's been circling for long enough he's been treading water for long enough yeah but you know all the best to him like, he seems like a likeable guy and uh, you know I, I hope he does well for himself but yeah it's tough okay Britain, British side. Um, I'll talk briefly about Zach Parker versus. Um, no, I won't. I'll talk about. Um, I'll talk about um, Dylan White versus um, Franklin, um, because uh, because I want to get on to talking about uh, Nathan Gorman, and then I want to talk about a few of the prospects on the other card, uh, just like all in one go. So I'll talk about White versus Franklin first. Um. Yeah, Dylan White is in position to fight Joshua, but he looks. I mean, he was adjusting to a new gym, and he said it himself. Like, um, he's still learning the new instructions. He was with Baddy McGurk, who said he'd never fought. He says he's never seen Dylan White before, fight before, which is weird and probably not true. But in any case, he's got the new instructions coming in. He's still learning them. He said it himself. But um, no, there's just something. Um, you know, maybe it was that. Like, I haven't even got much on the technical level to say. He doesn't seem as happy to let the punches go as he usually is and maybe that was on purpose maybe it's you know he wants to be better defensively and uh, and so he's not throwing you know big silly haymakers maybe that's fine but I don't know if he's got the athleticism and like, he is athletically fucked up he is uh, I, I still maintain that he's carrying some kind of injury or various injuries because he doesn't move well at all and uh, yeah Frank, Franklin just wasn't intimidated and he was able to keep up um, you know a volume and a movement that Dylan White kind of struggled with like White was never hurt at all but uh, he was just getting constantly peppered with shots and he just didn't really you know his defence was okay and he dealt with them but uh, yeah he's meant to be fighting anti Joshua next and basically I don't see it you know he lost to Joshua the first time but he kind of went at Joshua and I, you know I hope White's not getting contrary um yeah, like I say, I haven't got an awful lot to say about this fight. I only watched, I know, I, I was watching it, but, you know, I was doing a bunch of shit at the same time. Um, so I can't honestly pretend that I can talk about it in full-on depth. But uh, it was a little bit concerning. Um, anyway, let's talk about Nathan Gorman and Fabio Wardley. In particular, let's talk about Fabio Wardley. Because the story of this fight coming in, Fabio Wardley, if you're not aware of him, he's a, this is a heavyweight British title fight. Wardley... Um, is 15 fights as a pro and before that he was a white collar boxer which means he was an office worker or whatever he did and he fought essentially exhibition bouts that are staged for office workers by office workers and he turned out to be quite good at it so he went out to the gym 
then got into professional boxing and got picked, um, met Dillian White at the gym. And like, Dillian White, as a, as a manager, he's found Fabio Worley and Alan Mavic and managed them to good careers. But anyway, yeah, he, um, yeah, and Worley turned out to be good at this thing. So he turned out, uh, he went out to the gym and, uh, you know, now he's uh, a pro and now he's British champion. Um, spoiler alert. Um, and you can see the holes in his game. Um, like, he is... Uh, He's kind of an outboxer. Um, you know, he fights. He's got this stiff upright stance, and he throws single punches like really fast. He's really athletic, fast, and powerful. But um, but you can see, you know, he he's off balance when he throws all that kind of thing. He leaves his chin up in the air. Um, he's hit. He's very hittable. Um, you, you can see the typical holes of someone who started boxing very late. Um, whereas Nathan Gorman is, uh, you know, he had an amateur career. He, he's he's been a, a pro for a bit now, um, and he has this style, you know. He moves well, like he's, you know, big fat round guy to look at. <laughs> Possibly not just him, you know, thinking of his hair, right? He, he's he's bald and he doesn't give a shit. Um, but yeah, no, he's not a he's not a salt fellow. But um, he moves well. He he uh, he has decent mo- um, upper body movement a little bit. He has good, you know, his defense is fine. All of that stuff. He throws decent combinations, and he just seems much more technically complete and together than Wardley. And that was going to be the question whether Wardley could handle it. And the first round, it didn't seem like he could. Like he was really struggling with uh, with Gorman's jab and with uh, getting past it and finding the space and getting close enough to land on him, even though he was a bigger guy, uh, the longer guy anyway. And it looked like it was going to be a bit of a schooling. And then Gorman made the mistake of landing hard on Wardley's nose, and Wardley went, you know, fuck this shit, and answered back. And Gorman folded like a, you know, like a wet paper towel. Like, he just didn't uh, handle it at all. Um, we've seen Gorman at a high level before. He fought Daniel Dubois and lost his then as well. Like, again, he was fighting a rookie. Um, was maybe going to be able to expose some of his uh, straight line tendencies and didn't. Um, in that fight, he just got a bit more at class. In this fight, but he kind of, he did fold. Like, he didn't hand. He doesn't handle adversity too well. You know, I was talking about um, before about Conwell. You know, whether he handles adversity too well, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit later with um, with a couple of other fighters. But um, but yeah, Gorman doesn't handle adversity well at all. Whereas uh, Wardley, it's not the first time. It's taking him being clocked in the face to really wake up and uh, and go for it. But he didn't lose his head, and this is the thing. Like this, if it, this fight proves, like you know, a few fights do, that uh, you can train all you like, you can be as technically competent and fantastic as you want. There are some things you just ultimately cannot learn. Sometimes when you get hit, some people are just gonna, you know, not deal with it, and other people are more, or at least they'll find it much harder not to deal with it because there was a fighter earlier in the year. Um, the Don uh, Shinga fight when he beat Hector Flores in you know one of my fight of the year candidates, um, where Onchinka clearly, for me, you can see that he doesn't like getting hit, but his coaches worked him through it, like, really well. But it's really hard. Like it was some constant work for him, and um, Gorman needs that. Maybe he should go get with with Onchinka's coaches. Go, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, he he needs someone who can talk him through those moments. You know. 
get him get 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 that right instinct in him like to protect himself and uh whereas um Wardley, like I say, he reacts by fighting fire with fire, but he doesn't lose his head because that's the opposite. You know, some fighters respond to being hurt by by going wild. And that doesn't necessarily help. Like that will gain you an instant of space, but then you have to regroup and go, okay, wisely, fight wisely. And uh, and Wardley did. Like, he's not, like I say, he's not a strong technician really at all, but he knows how to pick his shots. Um, and he did. Um, he, you know, he saw what was hurting Gorman, and he started picking him off. And uh, it was just a, it was a good fun fight. It wasn't technically hugely deep or anything, but it was just one of those. You know, it's a bit back and forth, and one guy got knocked out. And uh, you know, I don't think Wardley's really going to be a world level fighter because at some stage he's just going to get knocked out before he can, you know, uncork his power. But he's a fun fighter. Um, okay. Zach Parker versus John Ryder. It was a disappointing fight because, you know, Zach Parker broke his hand and had to withdraw after, what was it, four, five, four rounds or five? I don't know. Um, until then, it had been, you know, back, a decent back-and-forth contest, a cagey one. Um, you know, it was basically what you expect from the two. Zach Parker, rangy, movement, picking him off a few times. Ryder trying to put his way in. Struggled at the beginning and was getting a bit more success later on, but that may have been to do with the broken hand already. But then, you know, Parker broke his hand, Ryder won. Not an awful lot to say. Um, the thing I want to talk about on that card was um, the three prospects that are Sam Noakes, Dennis McCann, and um, So Leary. And they are, it's, I would say, it's fair to say they are different stages of their development. So it's not fair to directly compare them. They have the same coach, so to some extent it is fair to directly compare them. They're all coached by Alan Smith. Um, it's just interesting to watch him because you watch it when O'Leary fought first, then McCann, then Noakes. Um, and Noakes was fighting, I think, for I'm going to just check it now. But um, Noakes was fighting for a belt. Some uh, was it the Commonwealth? Yeah, Noakes was fighting for the Commonwealth. Um, Dennis McCann was fighting for the Commonwealth. Hamza Shiraz also fought, the, fought for the Commonwealth, but I didn't get to see that because I was on the other card at the moment. Um, which is a shame because I really like Hamza Shiraz, but um, you know I'll catch up on that. Um, but anyway, they, these three guys are all fought. Were, were all fought for uh, Coach Man Smith. India, they all fought. Uh, well, O'Leary didn't fight for a Commonwealth, but um, McCann fought the, for the Super Phantom Commonwealth belt, and um, and Noakes fought for the lightweight. And O'Leary was fighting this fella Manuel Munganjila, and it was one of those Munganjila is really fucking tough. And but initially I thought you know, firstly I thought okay he looks a bit like Dennis McCann, and then I was like okay he's coach Alan Smith, you know clear, um, and at first I thought okay in some ways he looks maybe better than Mc- not better but um, he ha- he does things that he doesn't do things that McCann does do that I don't particularly like, um, you know he's he doesn't do the thing which McCann does where he throws himself in from really long range he he seems to have a bit more variation to his shots. But then it turned into this thing where it was um, this, uh, kind of the same thing all the time, the same pattern repeating. And Mugajillo is tough as fuck, but if O'Leary, it's a bit like, you know, I was talking about back um, about Conwell, if he wants to fight for a world title, he has to be, it's not necessarily that he has to be finishing, finishing a guy like this off, because um, he's not a particularly big finisher and some people just aren't. But he had the chances to do it and he didn't. Like he had the openings to go, okay, I'm going to knock you out now, you know, going to find these punches, put these punches together, maybe an uppercut here or an overhand right. And he wasn't seeing those. 
He was fighting kind of by a rope. No, I don't think it's the same problem as Conwell has. I think he was just fighting by rote. He's throwing trained combinations and not varying them. And so Mungancella was able to just kind of retreat and regroup. And, you know, he'd be surprised once, but then he'd kind of know what was coming next. And it was just a little bit... He has to work on a bit more variation, basically. Only. He's only 22. He's got plenty of time. But um, if he wants to be, you know... He's 140. If he wants to be a world, a world titleist... Uh, and he, you know, he's, he's talking about it really. Apparently, um, the commentators mentioned, um, yeah, he has to, he has to fix it up. Um, Dennis McCann, um, yeah, like I say, um, my main issue with him is a tendency. He's a southpaw, and he has a tendency to run his left hand in from a ridiculously long way, um, and he will at some point get intercepted, but. He's getting better about it. Um, he still does it. He was still doing it. And, you know, maybe he needs to learn from Reggie Progre and, uh, you know, finding the space before you lunge in. Um, but what he did much better in this one was uh, the lateral movement before he came in. So he'd step, step, step to the side. And when he when he broke in his opponent's stance a bit, like he'd circle, circle. And when his opponent kind of was uncomfortable with where he was, then he'd run it in. And that's pretty good. Like that was cool. He still has to think. You know, there are things he has still has to figure out. But that's nice. And when he got in, um, he's getting better at throwing combinations. Essentially, before it was kind of like one punch, maybe two or three, but um, it would be pretty basic shit. And then retreat. Um, he was getting better at putting the combinations together. Basically, yeah, it was just it's a nice little you know improvement performance um, at against a guy. I wasn't familiar with Joe Ham, but. Um, but it's, I think, the highest, the, the highest level he's fought. Yeah, that would make sense for a Commonwealth title. Yeah, it was a nice performance. Um, and then Sam Noakes. I've seen Noakes before, but I'm not entirely, you know, I can't fully remember. I seem to remember being quite disappointed by him, but it may have been someone else. Because in this fight, I was really impressed. He just looked really, you know, a really, he's fucking heavy-handed for £135. He hits really hard. Um, yeah, 10 fights, 10 KOs. Um, Commonwealth belt yeah he's he uh, yeah he just basically knocks out everyone he's fighting but um, that, I seem to remember thinking like before that he's kind of relying on his power too much whereas here you know he's just kind of swinging and hoping for the best whereas here it was all well set up um, you know it's the same model of fighter as the other two um, tight you know high guard um, coming in you know, he's fairly straight lined um not a, you know, not not a subtle, you know, not not lots of variation. But there was more, more disguise, more thought about the shots. He's picking the shots that he needs to land. But comparing to O'Leary at the big, you know, uh, earlier on the card, he's thinking about what he what he needs to throw to land on Calvin McCourt. He was fighting, and uh, it's just you know, it was just a more, yeah, it was a more developed performance. It was just interesting to fight, to see. Three guys trained by the same guy, just clearly at different stages of their development, and they're all sort of following each other. And okay, McCann and Noakes are kind of at the same stage, um, but uh, yeah, it just Noakes seems a bit more developed. And um, at this point, he's at 135 pounds. Um, I don't even know who the British type is. Is at this point, I'm going to have a look. But you know, he's in a good. Uh, oh, it's. It's a Max Hughes. It's a Max Hughes division. Max Hughes, Kid Callahad, Ricky Burns are still fighting apparently. But yeah, no, that's a good division to be a British guy in. Hopefully, he can get some of those guys. Um, 
don't know what the world level looks like. She's still ranked 148 there, so there's a long, long way to the top of him there. Um, oh yeah, so you know Haney, Cambosis, Loma, Davis, all of that stuff. So he's not, you know, not near ready for that level, but it's a really good British, uh, British level there. So he's going to be moving up it fairly soon. Now he looks ready for. Yeah, he's fought. He's fought the Commonwealth Belt, which is roughly equivalent to British. Um, yeah, I'd like to see him fight Maxi Hughes pretty soon, to be honest. Um, yeah, um, Hamza Shiraz, I really like him. I only saw the finish, so I can't talk about that. Um, but I hope you know he's at middleweight now. He used to be a really tall, um, light middleweight, but now he's not. Uh, it would have been really fun to see him with Vendora. It was a really good stylistic matchup. Maybe we'll see that in future. But um, yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't see the fight, so I can't talk about it. Um, yeah, the one more thing that I want to talk about this um, tonight um, from the weekend is the was Adam Azim. Um, because I am starting to... It is too early to be like, oh yeah, this kid's going to be a world champion. It's far too early for that. He was fighting... Um, give me a second. I had his name and now I don't. Um, Ronan Charlton. And, you know, Ron, Ronan Charlton has fought... Um, a couple of decent British level guys. He fought. He also lost to Dunchima, which is not you know, not particularly. Uh, but Dunchima, they went on to lose to a losing record guy. I'm not familiar with him, but um, but the other two guys that uh, that Ryan Charlton has lost to are Luke Willis and Florian Marku, who are, you know, perfectly solid British level. Um, you know, Marku's not British; he's Albanian, but um, he fights in Britain. He fights up, you know, around that area, and he's um, and he's clearly a sort of British levelish sort of fighter. And Luke Willis is um, um, he's just lost to Gavin Gwynn for the British lightweight, um, but you know he's in that level as well. Um, and they took, you know, Willis went the distance with him, and Marku um, went eight rounds. And Marku's a big hitter, you know, seven um, K is up to a fight. It's not a huge hitter, but he's not. He's an aggressive fighter, and he likes to, um, you know, nice and forward. Um, Adam Zim just had no trouble. He just wiped Ryland Charlton. And yeah, he does have a big size advantage and all of that stuff. But um But that's just it. the thing with Adam Azim is um he's really fast and he's really powerful, that's clear. Like and to a certain extent, any fighter with those traits able to throw accurately is gonna blow up blow through fighters up to a certain level. And it's impossible to tell for sure until they really get some stiffer position what they're going to be like against that stiff opposition. But there are things to like about Adam Azim already early on. He picks his punches really well. Like he doesn't just throw wild, um, you know, looking for, hoping to land something. He picks his punches and he disguises his punches really well. Um, he's another one of those fighters where it's really hard to tell until very late on where a punch is going to be coming. You know, he'll throw a left hand and it might come over the top or it might come up underneath um, as a sort of uppercut. Um, he also throws fairly unusual combinations. Um, the knockout punch here was a um, left hook over the top of a right hook, um, which is not, you know not not something you see that often. You really have to be confident in your ability to both slip the punch and get your own punch home fast enough. Like, um, and he is, you know, he's an incredibly confident guy. Um, and yeah, he doesn't neglect his defense um, as well. Like, that's one thing you do sometimes see um, fighters. They may have the defense, some fighters do, um, but they neglect it when they're going for the win. When they see that the fighters, it's completely match and they go for it, they're like, okay, whatever, I don't need to defend properly. Um, he doesn't do that. 
it's just yeah you know we'll see whether he can put the combinations together more because he is very much at this point about one punch power um he, he may there may come a time when he needs to put more volume on we'll see whether he can do that we'll see whether he can deal defensively you know he keeps his defense together but he's never been pushed with combinations against the defense so we'll see whether he can do that or you know it may, it may be that he turns out into countering opportunities but he's just a really good you know he's he's an exciting guy um one to watch at 140 pounds as well um that's that for this week next week you know there's a really big trilogy fight it's the one we've all been waiting for it's Tyson Fury versus Dunnett and Derek Chisora but there's also um Estrada versus Chocolatito and some people will be very offended by me pushing Estrada's name first uh, but yeah they're 1-1 this is the robber fight this is a sort of generational fight um it should be the biggest fight of the weekend by miles. It's not going to be because British heavyweights, but this is the big one. Like, this is one of the is one of the defining fights of the generation. They're one one. Some people think they shouldn't be one one, but they are. Um, yeah, Chocolatito versus Estrada, big things. You know, come on. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna write about that. I'm gonna talk about that. There's gonna be a lot going. You know, a lot going on. Uh, as a swat, uh, fury, whatever. Yeah, it's going to be kind of entertaining. But you know, I don't care about the fight. But but I'm not not watching the football. So whatever the fuck. Um, yeah. Follow me at Crafty Boxing. Um, you know, read my stuff at, Bad, at Bloody Elbow. Um, read my stuff on the fight site and read all of our stuff on the fight site. Um, follow the fight site at the fight site. Um, on Twitter follow um, get on our Patreon if you want you know even if you don't want to get on our fucking Patreon um, you can you know chat to us in the Discord you can get exclusive articles and um, alternative commentaries for a lot of MMA fights and things like that um, yeah it's good shit and uh, you know other than that I will see you next time to talk about the uh, the really fucking awesome era defining fight that we're getting next weekend so you know see you next time